the uh, uh, inhale through the nose and uh, exhale through the mouth, like you said uh, uh, last week. And I, I started off, you know, doing 15 minutes and I made my way up to over an hour. Um, I was just a bit concerned with my um, <laughs> my state of health or whatever. But yeah, it was fine. Um, I noticed, um, I've, I've written it down every, the days. Oh, my eyes are watering doing this. Um, it's not emotional. It's not emotional. It's just, just water. Just, just uh, um, uh, on the very first day, it was quite a lot. Um, it's like about 15, 20 minutes in. I have allergies, so I'm not sure if, it, if it, it's, it's that, if it's related to that. But it's like 15, tw uh, 20 minutes in, uh, I start getting that. Um, but that just that goes away. Um, it, it arises what? and passes away. Was that a good thing? Um, it, it, it didn't either. It's it's just um, you know you have to like you know get your hands just wipe your your eyes you know your eyelids or whatever just to take the excess water away. That's about it. So it was neither good good nor bad. Um, um, the I felt a lot of the like the sensations in the body, especially the, underneath the feet. Um, especially towards, you know, to about three quarters in into the sitting, you get a lot of sensation. It's like you're very, really grounding, very, uh, you know, okay. that's, the, that's, that's the, uh, um, oh, and the, the other thing, which this is probably the main one, I start to really smile. <laughs> 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 but it's um, it's quite strange and i feel really happy you know that's you know again it's like about 15 20 minutes in um i start getting that and I like a massive grin on my face so um that's yeah that's pretty much it and you know uh, the eye of uh, the eyes watering is gradually reducing as well, that's what I've 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 made an I've got a book somewhere somewhere in my room, um, which has you know basically what I I'd uh, encountered in each sitting. So uh, okay, keeping yeah. a journal of journal exactly exactly. All right, okay. Um, so how about you? How's um, your? Yeah, it's it's good. Uh, I've been going up from about an hour to hour and a half on just on the sitting practice. Um, also trying to do it in our normal day-to-day -day when you're watching TV or whatever as well. It's a bit difficult to remember, but you can still try and keep practicing, like you say, outside of the sitting. Um, with the practice on the sitting, like my brother said there, you, after a while you notice uh, smiles, happiness. And then for me, it seems as, as you carry on, there's a um, sort of tightening of the mouth, um there's a um, an almost numbing it's, it's not i wouldn't say tightness of the mind but there's um it's it's i wouldn't call it, it's like a softer version of a tightness it's like numbing of the mind as well and then after that then i had um it's like almost uncontrollable joy which is like bubbling up from the, okay. the base and then, and then erupting into it's like laughter almost so it's like um yeah, so it's 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 changing as well. It, it seems to um, the breathing as well. Sometimes it felt a little bit. I was going to the deep, just nasal breathing. I wasn't using releasing with the mouth, 
but um, slowly the you could feel the difference in the chest as well with the breathing. Um, it was slowing down. Um, even though you're, you're you're breathing in and out, you are forcing that in a way. You're in, trying to control that, uh, but it's not as deep as you know the. Uh, right. it's, it's, it's slowing down, as well. All right. Here's, by the way, first off, um, this is a very good report. This is great. I'm glad to hear both of you uh, making good progress. Okay. And so I want to congratulate you for that, that this is a major aspect of what what we're practicing mm -hmm. is um, to recognize that you can be successful at this. Mm -hmm. And yet uh, so many students in the West have the attitude, well, I'll give it a try, but they don't have don't have a lot of examples of. Uh, for instance, teachers who really have gone through the practice and have gotten some value out of it. And so uh, many students, they don't even know what they're looking for or how to do it. They have the basic instructions, but there's always a lot of doubt. And that doubt has to do, um, first off, much of the doubt that they would have would not get them into meditation anyway that they would be, what, what's the point? Or they might be at a religious ceremony or something, that, hoping that uh, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to zap them with the, uh, with the jelly juice or something. And uh, they're not doing anything to get that, get that zap of jelly juice that you guys are beginning to um, experience. Mm. And so... Now that means then that that layer of doubt is melting away, that you recognize that not only is this your job, but that only you can do it yeah. and that you can do it. Yeah. That's now the, the, the real eradication of the doubt. And that as you gain uh, further knowledge, with the path and get to, to the point that you really understand what the full path is about, then that will be the eradication of the third doubt when you know for sure that you've got the path, that you understand it, you have knowledge and vision of what is and what is not the path. And then that's the eradication of the third knowledge. But you guys are already working in that direction. And so I wanted to take this point to, to say, congratulations you're getting okay. something out of it and that should give you then the incentive uh the incentive to complete or uh continue on with it to begin to have uh more dedication to it that the more you know that this works then the more value it has and the more uh worthy of your attention this becomes and so this is actually part of the path that's quite well laid out. Uh, one of the examples is that though a mother cow uh, is eating grass, all the while she's got at least one eye on her calf. Yeah. Okay, so she's protecting that dhamma or she's protecting that calf, and that's her primary job, though she goes about doing her other daily duties of eating grass and whatnot. 
So this is the kind of way that we're beginning to look at it is, is that, hey, this stuff is so good that it is worthy of being the number one thing that we care about throughout the day. Because we know that we can do it and mm-hmm. that it's worthwhile doing. And so this is kind of the attitude that, that grows, the attitude of can do, the attitude of the winner. And so we also know that the attitude is, in fact, one of the um, items on the Eightfold Noble Path, but it also um, is a primary ingredient in being able to get the mind in the state that it's worthwhile being in. Because so long as we have the attitude that I can't do it, then we won't. And so that can-do attitude is a major part of the teaching of the Buddha, and yet many students or many teachers don't spend much time pointing that out. Uh, and yet, if, and, and I think the Zen is almost notorious for not pointing some of these things out, and yet the Zen masters eventually figure it out for themselves. It just takes a long time. <laughs> 20 years more. 20 years more. <laughs> Some of them work as long as I did. <laughs> but eventually we get to the point of, oh, now I understand. <laughs> and so the, that understanding is something very simple. It's as simple as the phrase, dukkha, dukkha naroda in its structure. You have dukkha, and when you see dukkha, then you can bring it to an end with a method. But this dukkha and dukkha naroda is nothing but kind of like a light switch. It's either on or off. And most of the time, uh, we uh, live with our lives with the switch turned off. And not only that, but it seems to be spring-loaded or something, because every time we switch the lights on, a minute or two later, off they go again. (laughs) (laughs) And so we have to kind of defeat that switch by keep throwing it on over and over and over again. And when do we do that? When we remember to do it. And that's the sati. And so developing the remembrance to just make that easy effort to change that mind, to change the attitude from the attitude of a loser into the attitude of a winner, to throw out whatever the past is and be in the present moment. This is basically the entirety of the practice. But there are, uh, let us say, many, many, many different places along the path where it's easy to fall into a ditch. And many of these places are labeled. And, and often for most students, they come in a, in a particular order in the sense that we begin to see the thoughts and the thought patterns before we get sharp enough to begin to see the feelings that motivate us. And that... Uh, just as when students recognize that their mind is wandering away, if, if they have uh, right practice or right effort, then they gladden the mind 
and they become pleased with it. Many times students will become unhappy that the mind has wandered away because that's the normal state of the mind anyway. And so uh, we naturally, actually in a way we need two kinds of, of sati, one right after the other. The first one is to wake up and see what's happening and then the other one is remember to take the effort to get out of this stuff. Because if we don't remember to take the effort, then we come with statements to ourselves like, oh, monkey mind, oh, this meditation is so hard. Oh, that teacher, I don't know if he's any good or not. And here we go down through the hindrances. Mm -hmm. When we woke up to it with sati, but we didn't take the right effort. And so we have to remember that when we wake up, oh, we got to get out of that stuff. And that we have to take the right effort to do it. And so gladdening the mind is the right way to do that. And we keep practicing that over and over again. And it brings on a state of satisfaction. It also brings on the feelings of of joy that are associated with uh, winning. Or that you, the feeling that you can do this. And that's referred to with the Pali word of pity. They can actually be quite physical uh, as it develops. But in the beginning, it's really based upon that attitude of, I can do this. Because that gives us a really good feeling inside that we, we, we can manage this. And eventually we begin to understand how exalted this is in the sense that this is actually the teaching of the Buddha. This is the highest teaching for humanity and that the the teaching that he gives is the teaching of the noble mind which is the highest quality of humanity that humans are normally at a fairly low state but occasionally there will be uh, a man of integrity there will be a man of honesty there will be a man of correct seeing and deals with people in a really fair and correct way, while at the same time he spreads joy. This kind of person is remarkable and so very rare in our world, and yet now you guys are beginning to say, wait a minute, I can do that. Wait a minute, I can bring my mind up to that level so that I can handle things and uh, do it in, in uh, a wise and statesmanlike way. And by having that idea of nobility, we, we begin to understand, wow, how valuable it is to dedicate my life to such a lofty goal. Because there's really nothing higher for humans. Everything else is just mental, airy-fairy, magic worlds that people invent out of their minds, but they don't live there. In, in, in fact, um, it was Mark Twain, uh, American author, who said that uh, when people talk about heaven, they go to church and they talk about heaven as if it were a, um, a grassy field with a hill and uh, uh, trees and beautiful sunshine and flowers. But if the people actually go from the church up to that place, because there is a place not far from the church, they won't stay there five minutes. <laughs> because nothing's ever good enough so when we're practicing that things in fact are good enough 
then that means that the mind is in the state that most people only dream about for themselves, but very rarely attune or, or attain. Uh, this is why the Buddha actually put so much emphasis on this quality of nobility, uh, and that one of the ways of looking at it is, is that it's in fact a change of lineage. Now, we always respect our parents as our parents, but the, the real lineage is coming out of the ordinary mind state and out of the ordinary world into the super mundane world, the world of high-mindedness, the world of honesty. We're coming out of the world of lies and superstition and magical beliefs and hopes and fears and angers into a life of very high-minded. And if we're practicing that, because we've got to come out of the lower mind states that we uh, are in when we're at that level of humanity. There's actually poly words for this. Not only is the word area or noble, but the ordinary person is called puta jhana. And the word puta, you probably recognize as uh, offspring or son, like sariputta. Uh, Pujana then basically means it's the son of the soil. And that's a very polite way to say it. Another way of saying it is uh, the sons of dirt. (laughs) Okay. Those that are living on the earth, they live in the dirt. They're the sons of the dirt, sons of the soil. That's what he calls ordinary. Ordinary. Ordinary, okay. Ordinary people with ordinary suffering. But we're dedicating our lives to coming out of that ordinary world and becoming above the world, Lokatara, sitting on top of the world, which I think that I've already given you example of that everyone is an emperor of his own pile of dirt. Yep. Right? Well, are we going to stay buried under our pile of dirt like the average ordinary person, the son of the soil? Or are we going to be Lokatara? Are we going to be um, the emperor living on top of the world? Or sitting on top of our own world? That's exactly what we're looking at now, is to actually learn to be in charge at a very high-quality, high-class level. And this is the way that we're going. This is what is meant by noble, and there is that eightfold noble path that we've already started to work with. For instance, it's hard to be noble if you forget to be noble. But if you can remember to be noble (laughs) and take the right effort to be noble, then in fact, uh, with the understanding of what nobility is, then all we have to do is to attain now the attitude of being noble. Because really this nobility is an attitude that has a quality of fearlessness, a quality of real knowledge, real wisdom that we have through direct understanding. And so in that regard, that should fill any student with kind of a pride, but it's not an evil pride. It's the pride of being part of a group that is the highest quality of humanity. And I, I feel really good like that for myself to have been around others like that. And that I would like to see that coming about 
in the West, that there is uh, there are nobles there, but they're isolated. We need to bring it together in the sense that everybody who knows the uh, supramundane can meet with each other, become friends with each other, because there will be power in that friendship. And so by pointing out the, uh, the high quality of this nobility to you and, and allow you to know that you can do it and it's worth attaining, then that gives you the aspiration to join with other like-minded people so that you do feel that you have uh, some real say-so in your own life and in, in, and in the world. Right now, the noble is so few and far between they have very little thing, very little of anything to say because voting is not the right way to do it <laughs> we have to go clean the temple of the uh, uh of the bankers occasionally <laughs> sorry they called them money changers <laughs> not bankers. <laughs> so this is something that that actually needs to be done, a wake-up call. And I think, in fact, what's happening is, is that this coronavirus-19 has also uh, almost a clarion call to wake up planet Earth, wake up humanity, that you've been striving all too hard now for, for money, and uh, in the glorious name of capitalism, where in fact, that's not the right way to live. That's, that's a low-class ordinary way to live. And that uh, people who live that way, even though they get what they want, the, uh, the pleasure of the getting is very short-lived and they wind up wanting to get something new. So the yep. wanting and wanting and wanting goes on and on. And where is the satisfaction? The answer is only more wanting. Well, now there's no place to go and nothing to do. And many people at, in the beginning, they were terrified. And now it sounds like that the whole world is going what they call stir crazy. <laughs> yep. yep <pretty> much. <laughs> or sometimes called cabin fever. <laughs> And I can't think of a better thing for them. That in fact, if they get over the cabin fever, then they'll actually begin to get used to it. So that when it's time to go back to the work, nobody wants to. <laughs> Why do it? People will begin to think about that they can, in fact, live their lives without living under the, um, the oppression of the statement if you don't work, you don't eat. Have you ever heard that kind of expression before? Do you yeah, believe yeah, that it's yeah, true? Yeah. Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> Living here, if you don't have money. Ah, okay. Do you think that that's uh, more true in England than it is in, uh, say, Sri Lanka? In, yeah, but the thing is, you know, they they a lot of them a lot of the people they grow their own food so it's not 100 percent true over there as it, as in here because we don't really but it is still high over there it as is, well, yeah. it is, 
those countries are now becoming adopting the Western capitalism and that right. approach. Well, in Thailand, they're very family oriented. They're so family oriented that that old adage breaks down almost completely. So that, uh, but you could, I know it's true in the United States, and it, I'm sure that it used to be true a long time ago in England, where that point of if you don't work, you don't eat is not true. That you can go on the dole, you can get unemployment, or something. Yeah, there's yeah, so yeah. many different ways to survive without having to actually work. Yeah. But who's got a manual out there? I mean, that one almost would be a bestseller. How to survive without working. <laughs> to learn to enjoy your life rather than having to work to get something that you don't need. And, and so uh, learning to live with just the basics. And this is actually part of the path of, of figuring out what each one's path is, is to figure out what's your bottom line. And I, I mean here is not about money, but what is um, the line by which if you go below that line, then you will suffer and you know that you will suffer and therefore you, it's important through wisdom to keep yourself above that bottom line. And that the Buddha puts it in four requisites. The requisite of adequate housing, adequate clothing, adequate food, and adequate uh, medical care. And if you, like most of the time, you don't need any medical care at all. That's adequate, none. But sometimes when you need it and you don't get it, then there's going to be a certain amount that's, that would be expected to be suffering just because you're human. So what we do is we find out what our bottom line is, and then we start adjusting our, our lifestyle so that we can live happily and comfortably just above that bottom line. Because most people live way, not only way above their own bottom line, they live also above their means. Yes, that's true. And, that, and that's because of greed. But one of the real qualities of uh, being free from the hindrance is one of the examples is to be free from debt. So the Buddha talks about it. The people in the time of the Buddha were uh, subject to debt. But the point is, is that what is it like to be free from debt? Well, a lot of people don't know what it's like to be free from debt, but they sure would like that. They'd like to find out what it feels like to be free from debt. All right. So one of the ways to find out how to be free from debt is get yourself out of debt. Pay it off. Get out from under that, because that's, in fact, um, an indication of suffering is to be indebted. You've got to keep doing it or you have to pay uh, and that you almost have to become an animal because you're in service to that debt. So the right way to do is to live debt free, come out from under any debts or obligations and, and live a free life. This is part of the, uh, the, the bottom line or the requisites that we have to become debt free uh, so that the mind then will not burn about that debt. So this whole new way of living is beginning to open up to you. And so I congratulate you guys both for getting 
uh, started on that to gain the the confidence that you need uh, to persist, to become more and more dedicated to the cleaning out of your own mind so that you can become free. But that actually, (laughs) it does grow some obligations. And the obligations have to do with, I have to say it. One obligation is to the truth. Another obligation is, is that if we've all, if we each, each one of us gets such enormous value out of the Dhamma, then we feel obligated to share that Dhamma with others. So that that's part of the noble obligation is to spread the nobility. Because right now there's very little of it. Very, very little of it. So spreading joy, spreading wisdom, spreading nobility is something that we can do only if we have it. Sort of like uh, information and fire and joy are three items that are all noble. They're noble in the sense that fire can be spread, that I can put one candle and set it on fire without losing the fire out of the first candle. I can tell you something and give you new information, and now we both have the information that my information didn't rot because I told you. Which may not then be true about secrets, and secrets are not noble. Um, The other one then would be joy. Now, here's an important point about the fire. We can't spread fire if we don't have it. One candle can't set fire to the other candle unless that first candle is on fire. Is that right? That's true. Yeah, okay. So it's really hard to spread joy we don't have. (laughs) And it's especially difficult to uh, spread knowledge that we don't have, and a lot of people try. Oh, do a lot of people try to spread knowledge they don't have? called religion. (laughs) That's true. So, um, this whole quality then is that we begin to have an obligation to the Dhamma to start spreading the benefits that we have actually gotten. The joy that you're beginning to have, you can share it with each other. You can share it with your family. You can share it with everyone that you are around, knowing that right now is a good time to practice because of the isolation and and seclusion. And so you can actually get your joy all barreled up, ready to um, be put on the road when the time is right. A way that I say it sometimes is that joy and uh, happiness are not to be given out with a teaspoon. They're to be given out with a backhoe. You know what a backhoe is? Yeah, we know what a backhoe is. Okay, with a big shovel. All right, big shovel full. That's the kind of joy that we want to have. So we got to have some. If we're going to spread metta, for instance, because this is actually a, a form of metta that we're talking about. If we if we can't if we can't manufacture joy, how can we spread it? How can we practice mudita if we don't have joy to spread? So 
In that way, we become obligated that once we get that joy, what are we going to do with it? Go paint the town, literally. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so this is how we begin to see this noble mind is that it is high quality and it is generous and it is willing to tell the truth and spread the truth even sometimes when people don't want to hear the truth so we have to be careful about that and we'll talk about that part of it at another time but right now what we're looking at is to gain that quality of can do that quality of winner that quality of the attitude of a lion the buddha called himself a lion there was a reason for that that's the attitude that's what we mean uh on the eightfold noble path right attitude a lot of people water that down to even just right thought but this is much more powerful than an individual thought this is an attitude and the attitude is the attitude of a winner can do uh and in fact today i use the example that you might have heard before hold my beer yep have, yep. have you heard that okay <laughs> yeah, we've heard that. yeah we watch plenty of uh, tv and films well when when that is used that means that there's a, an opportunity or a challenge that just happened, maybe a, a, an invitation in the bar to have a fight. And the guy says, here, hold my beer. <laughs> Why? Because I'm, I can do this die. I, I can take this one. This one's mine. Okay. That, that's that attitude of can do. Now, when I use that kind of language, it sounds like there's a lot of selfishness in there. But basically, the real selfishness is in the victim. The victim is the one who's selfish. The champion spreads his joy. The champion who is strong lends his strength. But you've got to get it first. And so that's what I mean there and by hold my beer is that I'm I'm going into this fight and I know that I'm going to win it. And what is the fight against? My own bad habits. my own feelings and so this is a point then is to reflect upon this is what the practice is and that the basic tools that you've just already been given in the past couple of lectures is in fact the same tools that you will need for the entire practice but there are there are more tools that you can use but you've got already the basics so uh Another way of looking at it is, is that we, we need together to investigate the Four Noble Truths more deeply, most specifically the Second Noble Truth, and how that breaks down into the five aggregates and then uh, dependent origination or Paticca Samuppada, because that whole teaching really helps the student understand how his mind works and how it creates the suffering, because if we can see that process and understand how that system works, we can catch things sometimes really fast. And so this is the value of it. And that they say that this is what the Buddha was doing on 
that 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 I think six weeks or something that he spent in Bodhgaya alone after his buddy saw that he was getting fat and left him. Mm-hmm. And so he sat down with the idea, I got to figure this stuff out. And along the way towards him understanding was when he came up with the phrase, aha, I see you, Myra. That is such a profound point. And yet we know about it through the sutras and people tell the story. But we think that that's only something that the Buddha did one time, like getting nailed to a cross, and now nobody else is apt to do it again. That only Buddha needs to see, aha, I see you, Myra. But in fact, oh no, what he's doing is he's setting the roadmap for how each one of us is to start practicing. Is to, aha, I see you. I see you what's going on in the mind. First, I see those thoughts wandering away from the breath, but eventually we're going to start looking at how thoughts create our reality and how our reality or actually how our feeling then um, manipulates our thought so that we begin to live in a, a dream world or an illusionary world rather than the real world. And with Sati, we begin to wake up out of that dream world and start living in the present moment. Because right now is good. Last year was next next year. Who knows? But right now, good stuff. <laughs> and so, learning to stay in the present moment—that's that's the main part of the practice. And so, uh, next time we'll we'll go into at a little deeper level about the second noble truth but already you're beginning to experience that third noble truth and that third noble truth is this is in fact good i'm not suffering right now i'm not dissatisfied at all i'm not hankering for anything i'm not trying to get rid of anything and and that i'm satisfied with this present moment well now that kind of uh situation actually happens quite often with people but they're not there for it. They don't recognize. Like um, the lady comes home from work and sets her purse down and sits down in the chair and just sighs. <sighs> and she has herself a little bit on a moment. This is very, very common. Many times people, when they get into their car after they've gotten off of work and they get into the car when they're still in the parking lot, before they even start it up, they'll just go, whoa. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Okay, so we're actually now going to start creating that more and more for ourselves, knowing that that's a satisfying moment. This is the third noble truth. This is a kind of a little nibbana. And we're going to start not just looking for those states, we're going to start making them, creating them, allowing ourselves to just go into that oh, this is so nice (laughs) Uh, little moment and let it stay there as long as you can but we've first got to create them first okay okay and so you've got the tools that you need to just create that moment to feel really good to know that it's really okay for you to feel really really good about this because what you're practicing is the very best thing that a human being can practice there is no higher more noble goal than to clean out one's own whatever <laughs> the <reason>. mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
<laughs> and so um, knowing that will then give us um, even more rapture, even more joy, even more gratitude that we have this practice available to us. And so we become more and more dedicated to it, gaining more and more benefit out of it. Okay. And so this is the kind of attitude that we begin to develop. I can do this. Oh, my beer. I'm going to take this next deep breath. Just watch. (gasps) (laughs) 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 And so this is the way, this is the path. And this is actually the path of the Buddha. Once we begin to put the pieces together, that in fact, all of the stuff that I've told you, you've heard these as bits and pieces, but now we're assembling it into a real uh, useful tool. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that useful tool, then, is what we refer to as the path. Okay. Because you also know that the word the path also means the word way, but another way you could use it is method, that this is the Buddha's method. But MAGA has been translated as, as path. And so we've got stuck with that word. There's so many words we're stuck with that are rewriting it into. In fact, if we used probably the most um, efficient and correct English language word and re- redid the suttas, nobody would know that this is Buddhism because we changed all the words. <laughs> and so. Uh, Except that it would be mixed in with so much poly that it would definitely give it away. There are so many words now that are sneaking into the English language, uh, correctly or incorrectly. Dharma and Dhamma and Karma and Kama are four of the most uh, uh, noticeable. But the, uh, the practice itself is practiced wrongly because it's practiced almost in a Western way rather than the Asian way of just do it. You don't have to prepare. You just do it. And in that regard, uh, that's just keep changing that that light switch. Just feel good. You know how? Feel good. Just keep doing it. Just letting yourself take a deep breath and feel good over and over and over again. That's the way to look at the practice. Very simple that way. Okay. Recognizing Buddha taught just one thing, dukkha, dukkha, naroda. So it's actually not a hard process. So good luck, guys. Call okay. me in a couple of days and we'll continue with this. Okay. 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 All right. <laughs> okay. 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 Thank you. Okay. Bye. 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 Take care.